0: You're listening to audio from Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you'd like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. And we find ourselves coming into episode six today on the story of Joshua and Judges and Ruth. The story that began with creation in episode one. In episode two, we we hit the fallout of sin. And then episode three, we come into this calling of the person of Abraham, where this whole story zeroes in on one family and one person of Abraham. that he's going to bless the whole world through his family. And he's going to give him a land. He's going to bless him. And that blessing is passed down from Abraham to Jacob, whose name is then changed to Israel. And from Israel, we get the people of Israel and the tribes that go into Egypt. And Joseph then preserves these people there. And then God raises up a man who was raised in, in the Egyptian household and is a shepherd in Midian and is called by God by a burning bush and says, Moses, you are the one that I'm calling to, to administer this amazing deliverance from Egypt. And we experienced the 10 plagues last week as we looked at Moses and and the Red Sea and and God leading his people into the wilderness and yet establishing his law, forming them to be a nation. But this forming of the nation is still incomplete as the blessing of God that he has promised to his people and to the world is not fully realized because they don't have a land to call their own yet. They come up into the land, they doubt, they're afraid and so they wander again for 40 years until that generation passes away and then a new leader rises up and this new leader is the successor of Moses who's been trained and discipled under Moses and now his name is Joshua. whose name means the Lord is salvation. Ultimately, the name that we find for Joshua is the name we find for Jesus in the Greek, in the New Testament. Jesus and Joshua have the same name. This Lord is salvation. He is a pivotal figure. He's a bridge. And so today, I wanna briefly look at this concept of Joshua in this victorious rest that he leads the people of God into. The victorious rest that then, because these people did not receive the gift that God has given them, and they have not followed his way and his law. They enter into the time of judges, of cyclical rebellion, a cycle of sin and repentance and God's rescue. And then ultimately, as a short conclusion today, I want to look at this idea, of this very short book of Ruth, and the person of Ruth, and ultimately a hopeful redemption that Ruth presents to all of us. There's a victorious rest, a cyclical rebellion, and a hopeful redemption. I don't know if you're famous, you're probably pretty uh, well, uh, you've probably heard of uh, the very famous opening line of the Tale of Two Cities. Some of you could probably quote the very first line, right? It's, uh, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, right? It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief. It was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us and yet we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven and yet we were all going direct the other way. This line I think is very helpful as we think about these two books that stand side by side. Joshua in this best of times headed right into when another generation rises up that does not know the Lord heads right into a time of the worst of times. And the nation of Israel experiences the best of times and the worst of times just within one generation apart. In Joshua, we have this faithful leader, a brilliant military commander. We have the conquest, we have victory, we have the promised land, we have rest and peace. And in Judges, we have nothing of the sort or periods of rest followed by periods of unrest and apathy and apostasy and anarchy, moral decay mixed with periods of rest and like I sprinkled in there, a cycle of rebellion repentance and rescue. We have flawed leaders like Samson and yet brilliant ones like Gideon. And intermixed in the middle of all of this is a tiny little book featuring two widows. Ruth. Joshua and Judges have enough testosterone to go around, I'll tell you what. Uh, And Ruth we have little old Ruth, little old Naomi and yet featured on the grand of scripture a beautiful picture summary book of the entire gospel message. A tale of loyalty faithfulness amidst suffering and loss of redemption and hope. It's in these three little books in the Old Testament where we learn so much about God and our place in the world. Our cycle of predictable disobedience and God's cycle or consistent faithful steadfast love and his chastening of his beloved children. We learn so much about the storyline of scripture. That God through Jesus Christ is our righteous judge and he is our kinsman or family redeemer and he leads us to a victorious rest which is spoken by the writer of Hebrews as, which is a much better rest than Joshua could ever provide. A rest we enjoy in part today but a future rest we long for. And really all of creation groans in deep longing for a satisfying shalom, a peaceful rest that we await in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Joshua, this beginning in... So we look at Joshua as a, a bridge book, a bridge between the wanderings and the time of the people of Israel into the, really what we see in the rest of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel and the promised land. It's the bridge of Joshua that connects these two sections in Israel's history and really the history of the world. This bridge from Exodus to Joshua or to Israel, the land, the promised land. God demonstrates to his people the Red Sea power to Moses as he parts the Red Sea. And then simultaneously, or not simultaneously, similarly, he does the same with Joshua. And when he parts the Jordan River and the Ark of the Covenant enters the waters and parts the water as they enter, there is this power of God that is working with Moses. He's working with Joshua. He's leading them. He says, be strong and courageous. Follow me, obey me where I lead, and I will never leave you and forsake you. And we see as they celebrate Passover they enter the promised land after the crossing of the Jordan River. The manna ceases and they now tend to take of the the fruit of the land in which they have been given. And then it's in Joshua chapter 5 where we are going to read here to begin. In Joshua 5 we have this story of Joshua headed to the place of Jericho. The very very famous story of Jericho of marching around the walls and the walls come crumbling down. But in Joshua 5, we read in verse 13 of an extraordinary encounter with a most likely pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the commander of the Lord's army, where God himself is commissioning Joshua to be an instrument of justice for, uh, against the wickedness in the land. Look at verse 13 in Joshua 5. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes And looked, and behold, a man was standing before him. Some even might say this angel, this messenger, this being was before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, are are you for us or for our enemies, our adversaries? And he said, no, The, the messenger said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him in this almost Joshua-like burning bush incident here, what does my Lord say to his servant? And The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing on is holy. And Joshua did so. It's a similar, like I said, burning bush moment where where Moses was told the very same thing as he spoke with God. Here most likely this pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, this this encounter with God where he is now becoming from this heavenly messenger, commissioning Joshua to be the sword for the Lord's justice on the wickedness of the land in order to fulfill the promises that he has made to Abraham. If you're familiar with Joshua, you're familiar with so much of the conquest, the the battles, the stories, the military aspects. And I'll admit Joshua provides a, a challenging text. A challenging book as it presents so many of these moral challenges for us, especially as modern readers. I mean, we have trouble today in our modern culture of even defending our own borders as a nation, let alone thinking about Joshua coming into a nation and, and wiping out, driving out, slaughtering cities as we think of this. How is this okay? It, it goes into our heads and, and I, I, even as a preacher, think like, oh no, I don't want to preach in Joshua, right? Can we skip that? It's hard to think this through. How is it okay for God to tell the Israelites to go into these Canaanite cities and and wipe out man, woman, and child? How is that okay? These are tough questions, right? That come into our hearts and in our minds it's gonna be challenging for us. And then as we look at the Bible in this whole storyline sermon series that we've been doing, so much of it sometimes can be that we look at God in the Old Testament as this kind of angry um, person who's just full of wrath. The, the God of the Old Testament is the angry one and, and the God of the New Testament is the nice one, right? the jesus who's like the you know he's just kind of like he just loves everybody you know and and the, so the jesus of the news the one i like the one of the old testament i don't really care for right and in doing that we run into a whole lot of dangers we we end up creating a god that isn't presented to us in the bible we, we create one that that isn't real we have formulated a definition for god that fits our comfort standards And so it really isn't the same God, for the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. And so when we read in the Old and as we try to understand, yes, the progressive revelation of God, as we learn more and more about Him as we read the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, yes, we have a fuller, complete understanding of who God is. But I think in the beginning when we ask these tough questions, they're important questions for us to ask. Especially when we look at the warfare that we see in Joshua. where. But well, I think to start, the, the first part I like starting is similar to how Ronnie was starting with some of these challenging questions that the kids were asking him. Who made God? <laughs> well, ultimately, when we think about these tough questions, we have to remind ourselves to start that God is God. He can do whatever he wants. We don't start conversations with God's words like this. I think we often start so many times from a wrong position or with a wrong question. We were kind of joking around the other day in the office, and uh, they were talking about Hillfest and the fair food that they were having, and then that spurred into a conversation about all of our love for food, right, and fair food, you know, fried dough, and then someone else was mentioning uh, turkey legs. You ever, you ever seen those, right? You walk around with this giant turkey leg at a fair and you're just eating. And I brought up to Josh or something in the office, I was saying, hey, wait, is that really necessary to just, like, is it really necessary to have a giant turkey leg and walk around eating that thing? And he looked at me with a puzzled look, like, is it necessary? Like, you're asking the wrong question. Of course it's not necessary, but why not, right? That's the real question. Why not? Who doesn't love a giant turkey leg, right? And so I think that sometimes we enter these things with the wrong question. Was it necessary? Well, what are we talking about here? So often we enter these things of, of putting ourselves in the place of God. We start with the wrong question. We judge God. We tell him what he should do. David, though, was many times going to the Lord and saying, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? It's not that God doesn't want us to bring our doubts and our challenges and our hearts to him. No, of course But let us remember, like Ronnie said before, that God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. We are the created ones. And yet ultimately, in the book of Joshua and in the Old Testament, we see that God is judging the wickedness of the land and he's using the people of Israel to do it. It is a unique time period in history that's not for us today. For the God's kingdom is a spiritual one, but here this physical blessing of God's kingdom being established on earth. He is using Joshua here in this way to spread the glory and the power of God through the people of Israel. And we see in the beginning of judges, Ra- uh, Joshua, Rahab is encountering the spies, and she tells the spies in Joshua 2:10, that we have heard about you." You see, all of the people in Canaan had heard about the people of Israel. He said, we have heard about you and the Red Sea and the miracles and the power of your God. And she doesn't just use Elohim. She says, of Yahweh. They know his personal name. They're very much accustomed, very much aware, and yet it shows God's mercy that for someone like Rahab, who is aware of the God Yahweh, and it says that her heart melted within her when she heard about the power of this God, but she was not like some of the other nations who said, we wanna fight against this God. She submitted, and she received this God in faith, and she is mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith because of her faith and reception of this. We see Jesus really ultimately working out his love through this aspect of of salvation for all people through Israel here as we see Joshua working it out and the Gibeonites are received under kind of a treaty. We see in the Old Testament the book of Jonah that he goes and brings the gospel message to the wicked Assyrians and the mercy of God is seen. We see God's mercy continually working out even through this, this aspect, the this story of God's justice upon the land and upon the wickedness and yet we also see God is incredibly long suffering. He is merciful, he is good, he is just and holy, yes, but he is a long suffering. In Genesis 15 it mentions how I am going to give you the land of promise the land of Canaan but I am not giving it to you yet Abraham God tells him in Genesis 15 I am waiting until the wickedness of the Amorites is complete and 400 years later or so God gives them the land it was long suffering it took he waited he was patient And so this aspect of God and bringing judgment on the earth, we see that Joshua is almost a foreshadowing of really our state of life that we are in today. That one day God will bring judgment upon the earth. And it is a sobering reality. It is hard for us to handle. It's even hard for me to preach and talk about. Yes, Jesus comes in a manger. He comes in humility, he comes in almost obscurity, he comes as a lamb, he's patient, he's long-suffering, he sacrifices himself for mankind in his love, he loves you, but one day he is going to return. <laughs> one day he isn't coming riding in on a donkey or in a manger, he's coming as Revelation says on a mighty war horse with swift justice and judgment. Revelation 19:11 says when I saw heaven open to behold a white horse the one sitting on it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He is clothed in, ro- in a robe dipped in blood and the name of which he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed were following him on white horses and on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written on it, king of kings and lord of lords. He is the authority. He is the power. The point is that God takes sin and wickedness seriously. He sends Jesus to restore and reconcile this broken relationship, and he offers you today salvation, because one day a day of reckoning will come, it will bring judgment, and we must be ready for those of us who have received the grace of God that day brings joy and excitement, but for those who reject him, it is a fearful day, just like for this time of Joshua that the The aspect of receiving the people of Israel and Yahweh as their God was open to all. And so ultimately what God is doing through, Joshua is conquering this land. Yes, driving out the wickedness and the the idol worship and the worship of uh, human sacrifice to Molech and all of that is going on. He is then going to establish a place of rest for his people. Joshua is leading them to a victorious rest. In Joshua 1, you can look at this verse with me. Joshua 1, verse... um, uh, verse, uh, let's look at verse 13. Joshua 1, verse 13, he is told to go in and take possession of the land. And verse 13, says, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. And later on, it says, the Lord gives you rest. The book of Joshua, in summary, is this victorious rest. God will give victory to his people and he will give them rest but the question is, how will they enter that rest? How will they receive that rest? If you're to read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, we don't have time to go into it today, but I would challenge you in your small groups or in your families, look through Hebrews 4. It's a fascinating study as it enters this conversation of receiving the rest of God, the rest, the peace, the shalom, and striving to enter the rest. Because the verse says that Joshua could not give them the rest that they needed. For he would not have spoken of another day. But Jesus comes and gives you the final rest. For Jesus is the better Joshua. Jesus gives the better rest. The rest that we're all longing for. This rest that internally all of us feel constantly all the time. This concept of having to work our way to heaven. To constantly prove our worth before God. To constantly have to be the person that measures up to the holiness of God. All this work, work, work. God says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is in him and submission to his kingdom and his authority that we find who we're really supposed to be, or to be a people of rest, to then one day enjoy for all time a new heaven and a new earth, which will be a place of complete shalom, complete rest. Joshua in part gives this to the people and then we in part experience this through Jesus but even creation longs for the rest that will one day come. The final consummation of all the rest that we long for. And so the ending of Joshua as he brings them into the rest and conquers the land tells the people in a renewal of the covenant at the end of the book of Joshua and says choose you this day whom you will serve Make the choice. As for me and my family, we serve the Lord. Choose you whom this, whom, this day whom you will serve and then we enter this book of Judges where the people are left with a choice. If you look at the book of Judges, we're not gonna look at much of it today in this concept where we experience this cyclical rebellion. After the death of Joshua, the nation is looking for a leader but instead of turning to God, they turn to the other nations around them. They don't fulfill their law. They don't fulfill their commandments to kind of take and possess the entirety of the land, and we get a cycle of disobedience, a cycle of rebellion, repentance, and rescue. It's a cycle of repeating and repeating and repeating. It's a it's tough to listen to. It's kind of like the joke of uh, Pete and Repeat were in a boat. Pete fell out, and who was left? Repeat. Pete and repeat were in a boat Pete fell out who was left repeat Pete and okay we won't do that today but hopefully that sticks in your mind Judges like chapter after chapter is like I think I've read this before this is the same thing but with different names (laughs) it's the cycle of rest receiving the peace of God and yet getting comfortable a pattern of apathy apostasy and anarchy a pattern of, of receiving rest, pursuing rebellion, God sending, chastening because he loves his children for if he does not chasten you, you are not his child. He chastens those whom he loves, the word says, and he, re- they, he sends oppression from nearby enemies. The, repression, the oppression is too great, they cry out for help and what does God do? He answers them. He hears their cry and he sends a judge. You could kind of say like a superhero, some of them, right? Like Samson. He sends a judge to come in and establish the order of right and wrong and really establish the glory of Yahweh over all other gods. And it is in that period of judge that God sends people like Gideon and Samson and Othniel and Ehud and Deborah. And he sends a variety of judges in order to establish what is right and wrong again and to bring the people back into submission and humility to Yahweh. And then they experience a period of rest. And yet the cycle will continue. And you'll really sense in the book uh, this, this sense and desire for more and a longing for something to finally be complete for it seems as if something is missing. Yes, God is the same, but the people continually fail. God continues to rescue, as Psalm 91 says, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. And we see God's character continually remaining the same and yet in the end, they're longing for a king that they do not have. They're longing for a leader to be like everyone else and in Judges 21, it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes and it is a sad state of affairs. And it's in that position, it is in that place where we see the people seeking leadership from others, seeking seeking to be like the other nations, seeking to do like everyone else is doing, to reject God as their king. They want something else. They want ultimately themselves to be enthroned. They want to be king. And ultimately in the New Testament we're reminded in Judges that this cycle of of rebellion continues and yet Jesus we see as the final king. Jesus is the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. He is our judge. Christ ultimately executes the office of a king. He rules and he defends us. He, he operates in a way where he subdues the sin of the earth and then he gathers in the people into his kingdom and that's why Jesus is preaching the message of the kingdom over any other message. And the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is the king of kings. And that leads us into this longing for rest and the desire to need a king And ultimately needing someone to take us out of this merry-go-round cycle of sin and repentance. And as we're rescued out of this, who will be the one who will save his people? And ultimately in this little book of Ruth, four little chapters, we see two widows, Ruth and Naomi. Ultimately three widows of Orpah who chooses to go her own way. And the Bible says that she leaves and goes back to her own place. And if you look at Ruth, you can look with me in Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse 15. Ruth 1, verse 15 says, And she said, See, your sister-in-law goes back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where, and this is the well-known passage that some of you are familiar, For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God Uh, Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Verse 17, and where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, that word is, may the Yahweh do to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. What an incredible statement from a Moabitess woman. She is a foreigner from the people of God not received into the chosen blessing the people of God. She is a foreigner, she is an outsider and yet she is accepting here the God of Yahweh. She is committing to be and keep the covenant law. One writer, Kenneth Way says, Ruth is the story of a mirror opposite of Israel's depressing journey from triumph in Joshua to tragedy in Judges. While Judges is about breaking covenant and leaving the Torah law over and over, Ruth is about keeping the covenant and living Torah law over and over. Judges emphasizes the canonization, the sin and the curse and Ruth emphasizes sanctification and blessing. Judges details Samson's self-interest and selfish actions while Judges finally depicts the lack of kingly leaders and kingship and Ruth finally depicts the line of the true king, King David. Ruth is a, is a light in a very dark world. Ruth is a foreigner, keeps the heart of the law, and yet loves and is faithful to her God and to the one she knows, to Naomi, who is a widow without hope in this world. She is helpless with no one to provide for her, and God sends a man named Boaz who operates in such a way, in such a manner as a type of Christ to keep the law He keeps the law of levirate marriage and he marries his family member here in this sense to provide for her a hope in the future. He provides for her this this aspect where her family, her husband has been deceased and he then provides for her and her future. And she ultimately is saved through what we see as a kinsman redeemer storyline here, this picture. For the Bible often sympathizes with those who are in desperate and in need, for blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the needy, for they, the persecuted, for they will be comforted and filled, for this is exactly what happens. Boaz, the family redeemer, operates in redemption. He Redemption, the, the grand theme of the gospel, this purchasing back of something that had been lost by the payment of a ransom. Boaz redeems Ruth. He rejuvenates Naomi. He covers her shame, similar to Jonathan was saying, with Mephibosheth, someone who is helpless and hopeless. He is welcomed to the table, Ruth. And Naomi, two widows who would have been cast aside, are welcomed to the table and blessed with an inheritance and a future and to be part of the kingly line of Jesus Christ. For Ruth, in the very end of the book, the very last word of the book of Ruth is the name David. Judges details failure after failure, failure after failure. And finally, we get a sign, we get a foreshadowing of the line of the royal Judah line, the person of David. For Ruth has a son. Boaz fathers Obed, and Obed fathers Jesse, and Jesse fathers David. Ruth is part of the line that points to Jesus, the one who will come and crush the head of the snake. We get a a foreshadowing, a sense, ultimately foreshadowing the grand story of the Bible, the grand story of redemption, the story of you and me, helpless, hopeless widows without without hope, in darkness. Needing someone to save us, to redeem us, to buy us back and that person that we s- discover in the scripture is the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. We have redemption. We, you and me, believe in Jesus and we have redemption. We are purchased, we are saved. We have redemption through what? Through his blood, The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That is the gospel. We receive him. He is our better priest. He is our better Moses. He is our better Joshua and he gives us better rest. Better rest than any other place in this world could ever try to offer you. He gives us through victory over sin and death. We today come into the presence of Jesus. We receive this truth. We receive the rest that our hearts are so longing for. And we find that we, our thirsts are quenched through the spiritual living water. It is this that Jesus redeems us. For in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. As I close in prayer, The Cashmans are going to come forward. We're going to sing a song called Surrender. And it reminds us of this concept of surrendering to Jesus. That coming in and receiving his rest is not, you cannot find that rest when you're on the throne, when you're the king and the judge trying to make everything right, when you're taking matters into your own hand. For we find humility. And understanding, we find all of that comes and makes us understand who Jesus is. When He came in humility, we too come in humility. We surrender ourselves before Jesus as our King. And in doing that, we submit to the kingdom of God and we find true and final rest. Let's enter that rest today, people. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come to You. We praise You, God, for You are good. We need You today, Lord. We are in helpless states apart from you but in christ god the bible says we are more than conquerors thank you god for in 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 sending your son jesus and and leaving your spirit god we thank you for all that we are in christ today the power of your spirit which speaks life into dry bones that raises us up out of the famine and out of the helpless state to be in a position where we receive the grace of God. Thank you, God, we don't deserve it, but we praise you, God, for you are good. And today, God, we need your rest. We praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.